Welcome to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. This week, my guest is a little further afield. He's from the Pacific Northwest, British Columbia to be specific. Jeff Cote is founder and owner of Pacific Yacht Systems. He and his staff provide custom marine electrical solutions. And I'll tell you why I reached out to Jeff. As part of a refit, I'm currently digging into the 12-volt system of my own 35-foot boat, figuring out what I need to replace, what I need to upgrade, and what can stay as is. I'm rereading for the umpteenth time Nigel Calder's fantastic book, Boat Owner's Mechanical and Electrical Manual, which I highly recommend to anybody who owns a boat. But with so many good resources online these days, I was also poking around on YouTube for information to see what I could find. And that's when I ran across Jeff's videos. In his longer seminars and some shorter videos, he covers the ins and outs of boat electrical systems in such an amazingly accessible way without dumbing down anything. I watched hours of his videos and then I decided I had to reach out to him directly and have a conversation because he has such a passion for a well-done marine electrical systems because I really like his philosophy around his work and because he has so much to share and he's happy to share it with whomever will listen. So we talk about his own journey to becoming a boat owner, about his business, and we dive into some details around lithium batteries, alternators, external voltage regulators, and more. I've learned a ton from Jeff. I hope you do too. Enjoy the conversation. We haven't actually met, but I met you online through your fantastic videos and articles as the owner of Pacific Yacht Systems. So talk a little bit about what Pacific That's Yacht right. Systems is. It's, um, was a creation of mine. Um, and it came out of uh, my frustration with an unreliable uh, electrical system on a boat. Uh, that unreliable electrical system was the genesis uh, that made me want to solve this problem. And in the journey of actually solving the problems on my own boat, um, I, then I got the courage to, you know, help others do the same thing. And the goal is, you know, creating a safe and reliable electrical system on a boat so that, as we all know, there's a lot of distractions on a boat. There's things you need to focus on all the time. And, if you can take one of those variables out of the equation, that makes for the rest of the sort of the trip, the journey better, less stressful. Less stress, less time thinking about how to fix things, <laughs> be an electrical system or an engine and just enjoy the, the sailing. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a fear for a lot of people. You know, I've had boaters that emotionally, you know, hugged me in a way that it was almost like we were long lost friends. And, and, it's, and it's because I gave them confidence in their boat again. And they could finally go out at Anchorage and they never had spent one night at Anchorage ever without having some sort of electrical problem. 
And that lack of confidence made them fear being on the water. What is worse than to be so close to some of us, our lifelong dreams, certainly mine, to have a boat, and to have it, own it, paid for it, and have no confidence in the vessel. It's devastating. And to be able to provide people simple, reliable, safe to code, and then those people have completely transformed relationships with their boats, and they have these epic trips. What you said about confidence is so key. And what I love is that you readily, I mean, you have a business where you help a lot of people gain that confidence, but you also willingly share your knowledge online, at conferences, mm -hmm. with others to, to give them that confidence. Yeah, it's a way to share sort of almost a, my philosophy. Yeah. And my pain is everyone else's pain. I was there. I was helpless until I applied, you know, basically it's my life's work now. That's all I do. It's, it's, a, it's an obsession. It's not 40, 60, 70, 80. It's 90 hours, 100 hours a week. And it's my life. Let's go back and talk about, because you said it was your life dream to, to have a boat. Where'd that dream come from? Probably, it's funny. I think it's probably National Geographic. I was about four years old. My dad was in the, uh, in the maritime industry, uh, uh -huh. working not on ships himself, but part of the land crew. And so ships were everywhere in my life. You know, I would go with my dad to ports and we'd come on board and we'd meet the captain and the engineer. And so I grew up in a family where the shipping industry, it's, it's not a job, it's, it's, it's your life. Yeah. I think I was conditioned by all these visits to all these captains and engineers and I remember telling my parents, I was four, I told them, I said, I want a sailboat and I wanted to be able to sail to these exotic locations. And I think it came from National Geographic because my dad had a subscription. That's great. Where did you grow up? Amazing. I grew up in Eastern Canada in a province called Quebec. My dad is, uh, was predominantly Anglophone when he met my mother. I spoke French, but very broken. And my mom, it was 100% francophone. And I grew up in a bilingual house. I constantly needed to translate. And so that translation skill, I think, extended to translate from technical to layman terms. That's very cool. Because that is a lot of what you do, is you, you're translating the language of electricity. Yeah, I think that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about, you know, when we spend time with my dad's parents, uh, you know, some of them were more Anglophone and weren't really good at French. And so I would translate between an uncle on my dad's side and my mom who only spoke French. And I think that translation at such a young age makes you readily be able to sort of convert one, one thought in one way to the same thought, but a different way in a different language, you know, different words. And yeah. I, that's my explanation. I mean, I've always wondered why I'm able to do that. I think it's because of bilingual solar home. Now, you are based in Vancouver now. And I think I read or heard you say somewhere that also from a young age, you knew you wanted to be sailing in fjords in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. How'd that come about? I think, you know, well, first of all, Canada is a huge country. It's like the States or, you know, you know, you live in one part, you know, the other part is so far away. You might never have seen it. You just saw it in movies or, you know, on the screen. But I, I, I remember never had been here and I was in university in Ontario. I'd never been here in the Pacific Northwest, 
but I, it's it's funny. It was exactly the way I imagined. And this is before the age of sort of. There was no. I was not on the internet, you know, watching a clip about BC. You know, like I made, I saw a VHS of some kayakers, but I'd never seen it. Never really. There was no movies of British Columbia, and yet I wanted to be here so bad because I think I love the whole idea of the solitude. You know, person versus nature. You know, the rain, the cold, and being able to be on your vessel and be safe. I've only uh, done a little sailing up there when I was uh, a teenager, but the images stick with me, sailing up these fjords, getting to the end where there's this gorgeous waterfall surrounded by mountains. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's surreal. You can't imagine something nicer. I mean, it's obviously some people don't care for it and they'd rather, you know, have sandy beaches and palm trees and you know, we all have what we like or don't like, but for some of us, there's nothing better. For some of us, myself included, there's no other place I'd rather be than here. There's no other place. There is no other place. This is it. It's just out of this world. And I think what's so interesting about your philosophy and your work is that, well, electrical systems and electronics are kind of ubiquitous now, right, on boats. But you're allowing people to, in a way, escape, get off the grid, not have to be tethered, and, and enjoy that solitude in ways that honestly weren't possible before because you don't have to run your engine for days on end or go back and hook up to shore power. You know, I had a dream. You know, I, that's exactly what I imagined. You know, the dream was never for me to go, and again, we all have different dreams, but my dream, and it's, and it's not everyone's dream, but my dream was to be able to leave a marina or a home port, be provisioned with food, and to be going off-grid for, for a period of time. Maybe it's a week. You know, my longest uh, stretch was three weeks, but maybe, you know, you're going to resupply in two days. Maybe you're going to resupply in five days or 10 days. But in between those resupplies, you're on your own. You're not connected to shore power. And for a lot of us, we don't have a generator. And how am I going to sustain my boat's electrical systems during those points in between my visits to marinas? And that was my quest because my boat wasn't, didn't allow me to do that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not, gonna, I'm not giving up. Like, this is my dream. You know, I, I was 29 years old. I had a boat or 30. And I was like, there's no way that I'm not living this. This is possible. I was like, there has to be a way. And it did exist. Of course, I didn't invent it. People like, obviously, Nigel Calder is sort of, you know, I mean, he's a pioneer in that world. And there's tons of others, right? But it, it wasn't prevalent, you know, locally, you know, that, that philosophy that Nigel had, and, which is amazingly beautiful, you know, to be able to do it and be off grid, but do it in a way that is predictable, you know, not hoping that it's going to work not just trusting it because, you know, someone else did it, but because it was thought about, you know, that was designed, you know, it was, it was something that was created. And that's what he offered is a sort of a, a logic to it all. And then I'm just sort of on my side, you know, I fell in love with it and I'm just implementing it all the time. When did you come to Vancouver, to the West Coast? I graduated engineering, uh, which was also my, another dream of mine in 2002. I don't know if I could be myself without that. It's the thing I wanted to be the most is sort of be able to solve problems, technical problems. 
to mm -hmm. me that was really, really important. Once I finished school in 02, I came out west. I found a job, corporate. It was great. Had a great time. But after a period of time, I sort of, uh, around 2006, on April Fool's Day, I bought a boat. And I was a kid then. I was 30 years old. It was a little bit ambitious. It was a 36-footer, and uh, I shouldn't have done it. I mean, <laughs> financially, right? It didn't make sense. Yeah. But I did it. You know, I followed my heart. What kind of boat? And that, it's Kalina 36. All right. And she's a part of me. It's sort of like I had two dogs for 15 years, and I don't have children, and those two dogs are sort of like my children. My sailboat is part of my family. She's, mm. It's unconditional love. You know, whatever she needs. I don't care what it costs. You know, boats have such souls to them. They sure do. What's her name? Uh, Satori. It's pretty cool because I did a term. I, I lived in Japan for eight months in university. And Japan was a big part of my um, undergrad. I did an East Asian minor and I spoke Japanese. Not good, but I tried. And um, in, in Japan, they have a, sort of their own national religion. So it's called Shinto. From my understanding, and I'm not from there, so I'm not going to pretend to understand the word super, but it's sort of a with, Satori means without desire, bliss. It's sort of similar to the term nirvana is what I've heard or read. Uh -huh. um, and it's this state of contentment, I guess. It's funny, when I was a kid, I remember I would always have this luminous test. I was always telling myself, would you rather be here or be home? You know, like meaning, like, am I boring? Is this boring the hell out of me? You know, and I would do so many things to be social. And I'd be like, oh, if I only could snap my fingers, I'd be back home doing what I want and not being forced to be in this sort of awkward situation. Because I was like, I'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah. But you know what? On my boat, I've never, ever been wanting to be somewhere else. My boat is bliss. It is absolutely. And I think for a lot of us, it is. It's the best place on earth. I've never been on my boat and said, oh, I wish I wasn't here. It's never happened. I think it's, it would be mind-blowing. No matter what happened around me, I always want to be there. I can certainly relate to that. And particularly during the pandemic, I know that it was a place that I could go get immersed in a project or just relax and forget about <laughs> all the crazy stuff happening in the world. When you took ownership of Satori, I'm sure there were a lot of things you wanted to do and, and change and upgrade as, as any new owner. What was it on the electrical system that made you, what did you want to upgrade? What did you want to have? And what was it that made you just dive in and, and just learn everything you could about it? Yeah, for me, it wasn't even a want. It was a need. The, the reality is I didn't do any of this because I wanted to. I wanted upgrades. I really, the boat was unreliable. It failed uh, multiple, multiple times on multiple electrical fronts. I, it just didn't make sense. The boat was literally, it was not crazy unsafe, but it was unsafe. It had been well, modified. What were some of the um, what were some of the events like? Were there dead batteries oh, or were there? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, tons of stuff like, uh, you know, the alternator was wired to you know a new job, right? And the positive wire was, let's say, call it one aught, and the return wire was a number ten gauge wire. You know, the the owner 
And this happens a lot. People assume that you only need to connect the positive. You know, they, 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 they simplify a wire and a cable. Like, because at homes, we don't plug multiple wires in an outlet. We plug a cable. And the cable has multiple wires. And so, you know, someone that had work on that on that boat didn't really know that, you know, you needed to have balanced legs. Uh, the alternator died and shorted. Engine one start. It was just this, I was like, this isn't the dream. Like, this is way more trouble. Like, this is not a vacation. And I was like, damn it. And I'm like, okay, I have no trust in this. And that's what you're getting at, right? I said, I had no trust in this. I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm starting from scratch. I'm going down the basics. I want a diagram for everything. I want to know every single wire on that boat. I want to know everything. I'm going to put it on paper. And if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to change it but I will not let it conquer me. I'm like, my dream boat is about a boat that is reliable. I can't have this. This is, this is too stressful. What I love about this, Jeff, is that so many people would say, oh my gosh, this isn't my dream after all. This, this, yeah. sucks. this sucks. But you, you went the other direction and said, no, damn it. <laughs> this is my dream. and I'm going to make my dream come true. Well, I had to. I was not, I was not giving up. I wasn't going to give up. There's no way. This was a lifelong dream. Like, I mean, when you're, you know, when you start wanting something and you're four years old and you're 30, there's no, there's 26 of years of your whole life. I mean, I don't even remember memories earlier really than four or three. I don't remember that, that long, long ago, but I clearly remember. I still remember. I still have that image. There's no way. I literally, it was almost like challenge accepted. I was almost looking at fate, you know, putting another roadblock to live this. And I knew I was, I was young to live that. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not doing it. I'm not giving up. So if there had been problems with the, with the diesel, would you have gone down that path or maybe there were probably. (laughs) Yeah. It was just the most problem. My, my engine has like almost 5,000 hours. Yeah. I've had it reconditioned twice. uh, But preventively, like I, Again, I'm crazy and, you know, I change hoses before, you know, at five years, not when they fail. Like I do tons of preventive maintenance, tons, but you know, that was never a problem. It was, you know, she needed attention, the engine, but it was just normal. The electrical system. And I think that's what it is because I I just, I needed to solve a problem. The problem was electrical and that was the genesis to my career and my life now. And Pacific Yacht Systems has been around for how long now? Yeah, after I sailed around Vancouver Island for nine weeks in the summer of 2007, which was still to this day the greatest nine weeks of my life, I came back and I was inspired by the electrical system on the boat and everything that I had done had worked. And I had an epic trip. And I incorporated the company under the advice and strong encouragement of a classmate, not classmate, but college friend. Or university friend. And I incorporated on September uh, 13th, 2007. And then I started moonlighting. You know, I had a job and I would work um, on the weekends and the evenings. Um, and I would pick up crumbs. You know, people were busy and they didn't have time to, for changing a light, or putting something stupid. And I'd come on a boat and I'd find tons of stuff that were wrong because, you know, I had been reading so much started getting busier busier and busier and in 2010 i hired my first employee he's still with me he's amazing 
And now we're a team about, because uh, we have two companies, so there's about a little bit over 15 of us. And the team's amazing, and um, we make dreams come true. How often do you get to do wiring on boats these days? Never, never. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm in front of a computer screen, and I'm on the telephone 14 hours a day. You know, an average day for me is I start at 4.15. I start my work day, and I generally go till about 7, 7.30 or 8. And it's either I'm on the telephone or computer screen. I have meetings, but the large majority of my time is in front of a computer now, just talking to boaters. That's all I do is I talk to boaters. So when's your next trip around Vancouver Island, I guess, is the question. Yeah, that's not, that's not in the cards, you know. <laughs> No, you, you know, you've got to, you know, to have some dreams come true, you have to give up others. That's always the case, right? Yeah, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about that first trip. I want to hear about it. Would you yeah, go well, clockwise or counterclockwise up the inside? Uh, I went, I went, yeah. So because generally the winds are from the Northwest uh, in the summer uh, and I wanted to have, you know, not going up into it. So went counterclockwise. So went up the inside passage um, north and then went southerly, you know, once we made it to the outside, it was relatively always southerly all the way till we got to uh, the southern end of Vancouver Island. Mm. You know, I actually logged 2,000 nautical miles that trip, which is crazy because we didn't just go around the island. We went through every fjord, every inlets. I mean, I don't think they're called fjord on Vancouver Island, but every inlet, every nook, cranny, there's all these sounds there. I think there's six of them. We went in every single one. And we spent one week on the inside of Vancouver Island and literally nine and, or eight and a half weeks on the outside. And it was as amazing as it, you could ever imagine a place to be. There was just so much to explore there. Oh, yeah. And I honestly, I spent eight and a half weeks there and I could have spent, and that's just on the outside. I could have spent easily another probably twice that and I still wouldn't have seen everything we spent I spent one summer now I have a powerboat as well and I spent uh, a summer uh, just long week just every weekend in Barkley Sound and Barkley Sound is just one sound out of six and I was there for about 13 weekends every summer I'd go up on Friday night come back Monday morning I'd be at work at 8 30 and I'd leave work at seven so it'd just be like craziness that never got bored one sound 13 weekends in a row <laughs> Never got bored. I, I want to ask you some specific questions. Uh, and I have to admit sure that I have been binging on your YouTube videos and reading your articles. And just the way you explain things is fantastic. So I highly, highly recommend anybody listening to, to go to Pacific Yacht Systems and, and find videos and, and, and watch. And they're just ranged on all kinds of topics. But I want to start with one that has been of interest to me and has been talked about a lot in the cruising community um, and in just in the sailing community in general, and that's lithium batteries. So I think there's a lot of hype and not a whole lot of understanding um, when they're appropriate or what their advantages and disadvantages are. So. Can you talk a little bit about when a lithium when a lithium bank is appropriate? Lithium is almost becoming sort of this religious thing. You have these literally believers and non-believers. 
And it's, it's crazy how polarized it is. Really, when you think about it, how, how can anybody be so passionate about a battery, really? And to say that, you know, it's, it's great for everyone and the other one's stupid or vice versa. And I guess I'm always hesitant to get in the fray because the people that love it or the people that hate it are so passionate about it. And I find it, I find it odd um, because my philosophy is that there's really no single cookie cutter way to solve all problems. Everything's unique, you know? You're gonna use multiple different tools, variables, and you're gonna apply them in a different way to solve every problem. And I guess I'm offended maybe by the thought that one thing is great for all. And I guess that's what I have a problem with the lithium because the, the camp is so enthusiastic that it's almost sort of saying that there is only one way and that way is the best way. And I'm always hesitant in my articles and everything else to get into it. But that aside, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that get really upset if, I, if someone says a contrary to them. I think lithium has a place, absolutely. I think there is, there's absolutely a reason to have lithium. But not all boaters need lithium. To me, the play on lithium is, um, you know, space and weight, obviously huge benefit with lithium, right? So some of us have no space or no ability to have a lot of more weight, but yet we need more batteries. Mm. That's a hell of a good reason to get lithium. You know, that's a real, real tangible reason. You know, other people are going to need, because of space, they need high energy density, right? So lithium is a great way to get high energy density. The other thing too is people need sometimes to run loads without the voltage really sort of sagging. Lithium gives you 80% pretty much usable battery capacity, which is crazy, right? Flooded mm. lead acid is 35, AGM maybe 50, Firefly 65, but lithium is pretty much the whole battery, 80 points. So, you know, that's another big thing about the energy density, right? You have all this more usable energy density on top of it, right? Which is everything because who cares about nominal? Those are all the positive things. And oh yeah, and the last thing is charge rate. Yeah, let me not forget that. So charge rate is, is often called CAR, charge acceptance rate. And people brag all the time about, uh, and it's funny, I was making another boulder laugh yesterday. They brag all the time about how lithium has a 3C or 1C of charge acceptance rates. And that's the reason why everybody should have lithium because it can take faster charge rate. I was made the boulder laugh yesterday. It's like bragging that your bank account is amazing. It can take any size deposit. <laughs> like, yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, my bank account can take a deposit over a billion dollars. Now you got to make the money. Questions. Yeah, and I'm like, who's going to get 3C? Like, if you've got a battery bank, let's imagine a, a tiny battery bank, tiny, tiny battery bank, two golf cart batteries. Okay, that's tiny, right? And we're talking, there's practically, you can't have much less than that if you're a 30 footer or less, right? I mean, you, that's pretty much the norm. So call that 200, 220 amp hours. 3C is three times capacity. That's 660 amps. Now, can you imagine going online on West Marine or at Defender or wherever you want to go, put in Marine Alternator 660 amps? Like, you're not going to find that alternator. And that's for the puniest battery size. So people are putting in lithium battery banks of four, 800, whatever, amp hours. And they're bragging about the, the, the car rate of the battery. And I'm like, 
where are you going to find that? What sort of fire hose do you have on your boat that can give, you know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 amps, right, at 12 volts? Like, what kind of, like, it's impossible. So often that's one of the main selling features of lithium. Oh, my God, you should see the car rate. Oh, it's incredible. 1C, 3C. I'm like, who cares? My bank account can, you can drop a billion in it, no problem. It's never going to happen. So why brag about something that has no benefit? And then that's where you start realizing that there are people misleading us. Does that mean that lithium is going to be chronically undercharged if you have just a regular 50, no. 100 amp? No, it doesn't. No, but it means that you're not getting that benefit. So if something is clearly a winner, imagine if you're a winner, you don't need to compensate, right? LeBron doesn't need to compensate. He's a winner. You know, like why, why did even someone even brag about something that isn't even important? Right. It's because someone obviously doesn't feel confident. So the brokers, manufacturers of those batteries that are promoting these sort of specs are misleading. And why are they misleading? Why would you need to compensate if something was so amazing? Why brag about something that will never happen? Maybe to justify the price. Well, that's the problem, right? And that's where I get, you know, as an engineer, I'm like, oh, I don't like it. Tell me what it's good at. Don't give me sort of benefits that don't matter and don't have any impact that are just lab, right? It's just theoretical. It's, you know, we're not going to see any value to it. Right. So that's what I, that's one of the factors that always made me a little sort of, but listen, that's not to say that if you take that aside, you know, the batteries are pretty amazing for their energy density, right? Their weight and their volume. And like, but here's where I get, but go, ahead. go yeah. ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. But the big challenge I have is with the BMS. And that's where I'm like, dude, you have a computer on top of your battery. Let's not call it a BMS, call it a computer, right? It's, it's, this ain't dumb. This thing is not electrical anymore like we're at the electronic stage there is intelligence in that system this is not a dumb thing this is we're past the electrical stage anymore a battery was electrical this is not a battery anymore batteries are this is not just electricity there is literally intelligence to make that battery work or keep it safe and your problem and with that my, is that it's just complicated uh, well yeah it's undue risk right yeah. the question is it, you know, sure, absolutely. If you absolutely need lithium, yeah, sure, then take on the risk of a BMS. And if you take on a risk of a BMS, then do it from someone who has a lot of skin in the game. That's why I tell people, I'm like, so you've got a million dollar boat, you've got a $500,000 boat, a $100,000 boat, and you're going to skimp on a reputable battery manufacturer and go with a questionary BMS manufacturer to save a few thousand dollars? Where if something ever happens on your boat, yeah, you might have insurance, but it, nobody's going to give you back that boat. That dream is gone, right? It takes a long time. When a bad event happens to us, you don't just suddenly have your other dream boat that pops. You might get out of boating overall. Why take a chance? You know? And so yeah. I'm a huge proponent. You go lithium, you go pro. Don't take a shortcut. Don't have sandals in a, a t-shirt and shorts no compass, and then say, you know what, I'm going to go off the trail. I'm going to just, you know, I'm just going to do, go for it. Like, I'm just going to see what happens, like in a place like, you know, in BC or in the middle of nowhere. You, you, at one point, you know, if you're taking on risk, 
then you got to ask yourself why why and it's yeah. not for everyone it can't be for everyone and if you do it do it with the pros people that have skin in the game that will never allow the rest of their company to suffer and aren't willing to take any unnecessary risk and I, what i really like about your approach is you're thinking about it from all these different angles yeah it might be the right choice for someone and you know as you say some batteries can be heirlooms <laughs> if you're thinking long term you're going to be out you're going to own your boat for the next 10 20 30 years but not all of us not it's not the same for everybody yeah, and that's the thing too. You brought a good friend. I totally forgot the cycles. People talk about the cycles all the time. I'm like, are you kidding me? How long do you think people keep a boat for? You know, I've had my boat 16 years. I don't intend to sell. Like my boat is part of me. You know, it's sort of, again, it's family. But are everybody keeping their boats for 20 years, 30 years? These are not properties. You know, they're not like places that you invest in. It's a sort of manufacturing plant. A lot of us end up changing boats five years, 10 years. So if your payback period is 30 years, you know, you're not going to see the whole benefit of that because you put all that money up front and we know that people don't pay for upgrades when they buy a boat. They yeah. just don't. They just don't. And you can lie to yourself that they will, but they're pennies on the dollar. It's going to be the worst investment you did. You know, when we do upgrades, we do it for ourselves. You just have to accept it. It's you're doing for you. It's like a vacation. You, when you treat yourself on a vacation, you can drop whatever. Some people drive over a thousand, 10,000, whatever the number is. When you draw money on a vacation, it's an experience. You do it for you. There is no payback. I tell people all that all the time. It's like a vacation, but it will make you feel better. And it's going to keep making you feel better all the time. I'm like a vacation. But there is no financial reward from this vacation. So something else I want to ask you about is uh, external charge regulators. I'm just fascinated by these because I think so many, I know for myself, I can speak for myself, think about the electrical system is pretty simple. The alternators run by the, by the engine, puts out energy, puts out a current that is then charging the batteries, you know, like, like on a car. But it's not that simple anymore on a boat, or it doesn't have to be that simple anymore on a boat. Talk about the advantages, or maybe disadvantages if there are any, of, of external charge regulators. Yeah, alternators have a hard life. You know, they, it's probably one of the, probably arguably the worst electrical, the worst life as an electrical appliance on a boat. <laughs> They're asked to do impossible things. You know, car alternators were never built to recharge a, a huge battery bank. They effectively recharge a battery that got slightly depleted because you started the engine, but the battery is probably at 98, 90, I don't know, pretty damn full. And then the alternator just runs the loads on the car. The loads on a car are minimal. And, you know, maybe 10 amps, 20 amps, whatever. But it's not crazy. The alternator is not max loaded. And so the alternator works, but it doesn't work too hard. But then think about a boat, you know. Boats don't have a battery. They have multiple batteries. Some of us have 10 batteries, 15 batteries. I did a boat, 32 batteries. So if you've got 32 batteries on your boat, you got a battery bank, some battery banks, 2,000, 4,000 amp hours. You know, your alternator has to recharge that. And it's going to be going full throttle for a period of time to try to offset that massive battery bank. It's a battery bank that just is constantly hungry. 
And so that's where now people are going, well, whenever it's reasonable, let's upsize, you know, increase the size of the alternator to get a larger output, you know, but then you've got to consider, okay, pass about 90 amps, you've got to go to Serpentine. So you've got all these companies that have Serpentine kits and Serpentine is the way to go. It's and that's, that's a Serpentine belt because you get more efficient more efficient well, you can you can drive speed. yeah that's right ben you can drive more power to it right i mean okay. the v-belt is you know they we all know they crack well they overheat because of slipping over time they fray and then they crack because of heating and they just become so brittle that they just explode um and that can only drive about a 90 amp alternator dual veal belts can do more but they're harder to tension but if you go to a serpentine belt which we have in our vehicles um they basically they never fail i mean they fail but they never fail like it's 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 worry free and then you can start putting a 160 amp alternator 120 amp alternator 210 amp alternator 250 amp alternator now you're talking and what because i learned from you recently is it's nice to to say you have a high capacity alternator but if you're not getting that current to the not yet yeah, not yet. Yeah, so there's two things, right? So one is now you got a high output alternator, right? So you, you know, now you've got an athlete's body. Now you're met, you can work, you know. But the flip side is you need a brain because if you're dumb and you've got an athlete's body, you're still useless. Yeah. What are you going to do? You can't control yourself. You don't know what to do. <laughs> so if you're not smart, you're going to be cautious, right? That's what kids do, right? You're going to be cautious. And that's what an internal regular is. They know they got to be careful. I mean, they're, these things are worthless. You know, I don't know, $5. I mean, maybe they're free almost, but they're there and they're overly cautious. And those are the type of things we have in our cars. They never really maximize the alternate output because it never needed to be done. And then came out this concept of, and I have to say, it's one of my favorite things, is this concept of an external regulator. It's to me is a dream device. It's literally someone had 10 wishes and in one wish, they all came true. It's a genie, it's a genie out of a bottle. It's, it's a device that literally does everything that an internal regulator could ever possibly imagine to do and it does it with ease. So first of all, it converts the alternator to three stage charging, right? Now there's even four stage charging, but regardless, it goes bulk absorption float. You can set all the parameters to that. You can customize it. Not only that, but what we do all, all a lot, we actually start oversizing our alternators. You know, putting a 120 amp alternator, but we only need 90. And what we do is we derate the alternator. So we don't let the alternator work too hard, and which means if it doesn't work too hard, it's gonna last longer. So we actually derate alternators so that we don't tax them too hard. It'd be like driving your car at 6,000 RPM everywhere. You'd burn out an engine. You know, mm. it'd be like those kids that, you know, race cars. Yeah. So. You know, you can derate, which is insane, right? So you can buy a bigger alternator and go, okay, no problem. Let's derate it a little bit. Let's derate by 10, 20, 30%. Then, the, then it gets even better. This thing has temperature sensors on both the battery and the alternator. And on the battery, it compensates literally charging voltage to offset for temperature. So that's incredible. Your batteries are now finally getting exactly what they need in terms of battery voltage. But it gets even better. And measures voltage not at the output of the alternator, but at the end where the batteries are. It offsets voltage drop. It'd be like your salary literally in our lives. Like, I hate paying taxes. Can I just be, can you just pay me more so that I just get 
what I thought my salary was going to be. Like I made 50 and now it's not. And I just wanted to be 50. Can you make it 50 again? And they're like, sure, no problem. And the alternator offsets voltage drop. I mean, how insane is that? So the alternator might be outputting 14.7 and the batteries get 14.4, but it's just outputting a higher voltage to get exactly what you wanted the battery. That's sick. That is great. It's sick. And, 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 and you do all that and you have a temperature sensor on the alternator for overheating. And then on top of it, if you ever need to depower the engine because you're in bad seas, people are putting in relays, you know, to actually reduce the alternator load by half. Can't do that with an internal regulator. And uh, the newer models, there's different companies that now are also even measuring current. Anyways, but basically it's a dream device. Everybody wants one. You might not be able to afford one, which is a good reason because you can't afford everything in life. So some of us make choices, but there is no downside to an external regulator. There's, of course, people are going to see complexity, but you know what? They're super reliable. They are so reliable. It's a fallacy. If people think they're not reliable, how often do I change a Balmar external regulator? Maybe once a season, maybe once a season. And I, we service, you know, probably we service hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of votes a year. And I get a call for a Balmar regulator maybe once a year, maybe. Huh. That's a great uh, primer on them. What do they run? You said uh, that some, it might be cost keeping people from doing that. How much, how expensive are they? I don't know. Like in Canadian dollars, I think they're about five, $600 in Canadian. So they're probably U.S., maybe 350, 400. I don't know. Something yeah. like that in U.S. dollars. I mean, yeah. it's nominal. It's not a boat buck. Now it takes a hell of a time to install it and you cannot ever deviate from the plan, right? The, what I see a lot of times with external regulators it's the crazy syndrome, right? It's like, oh, the manual? Oh, that's for losers. Uh, you know, literally, I mean, how many men, I wish I was a fly in the room. How many men have thought that? Like, I don't need, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Screw that. I got it, man. I was born smart. I knew everything at the moment I was conceived. And then they start inventing it their own way. I'm like, listen, are you trying to sabotage this thing? I'm like, I mean, if I tried to badly install it, I don't think I could do a worse job than you did. Like I couldn't do it. And it's like, people are just taking shortcuts everywhere. They're just simply just trying to make it work. And they're defeating the whole purpose of having this, what I call a God device, you know, on your boat. It's a perfect device. Let's talk about that just for a second, the shortcuts, because I think a lot of times people are like, ah, 12 volts. It's not AC. You know, I'm not going to really get hurt. I can just, I can make it work. I mean, I'll speak from experience. I have been in situations where I'm like, oh, I don't have the right wire, right? You know, this, this uh, butt connector will probably do the trick. And lo and behold, yeah, sure, it works. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's sabotage is what it is. We're, we're destroying our own dreams. Electricity is predictable. You know, it's a system. It doesn't, it doesn't fly. It's, it's like water right? If it's done with care, it's extremely reliable. And it's amazing. Electrical to me is a lot about a mirror to life. You know, people always blame everyone except themselves. And electricity is this thing, you know, people blame electricity. Electricity is not there by haphazard. It was installed there for people by people. And if it's not working, you can't blame electricity. You, got, you can't say it's unreliable. It's the people that take shortcuts that make it unreliable. Blame yeah. the people. And if it, you screwed up and you did on your boat, you know, a lot of times, even my technicians, you know, the first thing when they find a problem with the product, I'm like, let's be honest, let's start with ourselves. You know, what most likely is something we did. What did we do wrong? 
Don't blame the product. That's the easiest thing to do. Always look at external reasons for our, our failures. So with electrical, you just make it, you take the time to do it well. Don't sabotage our dreams. And I say previous owners do that all the time. How many boat owners I've almost seen, you know, the partner almost to the point of tears realizing how bad their electrical system had been sabotaged by a previous owner or a, an electrician who thought knew better decided that, you know, he was going to self-teach himself without reading. Because information is out there, right? Like I learn on the internet. I didn't learn any of this in school. Information is there on the internet. You have to, you have to find it. Not all of it is good, but eventually you can find the good stuff. And you have to take the time to absorb it. Yeah, time to absorb it and read and see enough, right? And be your own judge. But a lot of people think that do it yourself just means do. You know, it should be educate and do. And this whole word, I have an aversion to it. It's not just doing something. You can't just, it's like coding or accounting. You can't just do accounting. You just can't just do it. You have to educate yourself about it. And I think it's this sort of slackness with electrical that is a pet peeve of mine because it comes at our own detriment. We're making ourselves suffer in the long run because then the reliable of the electrical system goes down. And how frustrating is it to come on a holiday, assuming that not, not all of us, you know, have endless, you know, we're all on re retired or an endless vacation. And if you come down to your boat and you want to leave on a Saturday morning or you're trying to leave for a week or you're trying to leave for the night, it doesn't matter, or just a day or just the afternoon. And if your boat doesn't start or you're out there and something stops working and your nav lights stop working, your water pump stops working, your fridge doesn't work, whatever it is, you start losing trust in your vessel. And our vessels are our partners, right? On the water, what could be more important than the partnership and the trust you have with your boat? And people are willing to sacrifice that. And they chip that way of that confidence and they're going to pay back. They're going to, they're going to pay for it. And it might be not be them. It might be the next owner, but someone's going to pay the price. And that price is broken dreams and people getting out of boating. And that's sad. Yeah. It's sad because it didn't have to be that way. There's room for more boaters. I couldn't run my business without the counterpoint of boating. Boating is what betters me to this world. It's that's what, that's my purpose. I work to boat. And without boating, I would have never done what I'm doing now. Never would have worked so hard. Never. Because it keeps me sane. It keeps, you know, boating is that thing. And to take that away from someone because the electrical system is, was compromised because people want to take shortcuts because they didn't want to educate and just do. I find that sad. It makes me think that it's really about putting the time in upfront if you get the systems right, then you're not gonna be spending all that time when you wanna be vacationing or on the boat enjoying it. You have to. Nobody gets to the top of Everest and it didn't work. And anybody that got there with the top of a helicopter ain't bragging about it. <laughs> There's no way. You, you, you gotta earn it in life. And that's why I tell people, it's like golf. You gotta earn it. You, you know, if, if everybody did a hole in one every round of golf, nobody would delay golf. The reason why people love golf is because it owns you. And if you're not on it, you're going to get owned. It's competitive. It's you versus golf. And boating is the same thing. You know, either you get on board and you welcome that challenge and you welcome it knowing that it makes your victory much sweeter, or you simply give up 
and you don't even walk one step on your way to Everest, but a boat is a personal Everest. For a lot of us, it was for me, it was my personal Everest. I conquered it, but it had to be conquered. It was unbelievably humbling. Well, and in a way, it is an ongoing quest because what I love about it is there's always more to learn. And I'm sure you feel the same way. 100%. It never ends. It's, 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 you, there's no lifetime. Mariners learn their whole life. There is not a lifetime that is long enough to even begin to even crack at it. It's a world unto itself. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you what you're most excited about um, in terms of uh, electrical systems on boats. Calder has this new integral system that everybody's talking about. It's out of the price range for most people right now, but it's an amazing, looks like an amazing system. Are there other things on the horizon that excite you? I don't spend a lot of time looking at the horizon for that stuff. You know, I'm not a huge proponent uh, for people that are going offshore to try new things. You know, if you're a local guy and you're boating local, sure, try new. And you don't mind downtime because you got a lot of time, try new. But I'm not a big proponent. I know that's not going to go against a lot of the manufacturers out there. And they're going to be like, no, because if they don't sell new stuff, that's their purpose, right? I mean, they need to sell stuff to keep be alive. I'm always a little bit shy with new. And I'm shy because for me, newness cannot come at the expense of reliable and i'm okay to sacrifice that with a phone a computer a lot of things because i'm in the city you know i can just dish out some more money and i can solve a problem or i can wait but on a boat you can't do that you can't it doesn't matter how much you have in your account your boat's down your boat's down you could drop you could transfer a million dollars in a bank account it won't be solved in one minute you could be out there for days. Your trip could be ended. And it doesn't matter how much money you have in the account. You cannot solve this with money. Not when it happens. And so what you want to do is you want to get ahead of it. And you want to prevent it from happening. You prevent it by happening by not doing cool, neat stuff on your boat when you go offshore. So to me, cool in the short term is, I think, just a higher adoption on solar is probably where I think it's just it's going to take longer and longer to people to believe it, but it's pretty amazing. Um, those flexible solar panels are unbelievable. They're game changers. I had a boat owner this summer, you know, 52 foot navigator. I mean, this is a boat, right? Like this has got a lot of creature comforts, right? We're talking, it's got everything. There is no washer, dryer, fridges, you know, like this is a full on home. And that boat installed a massive solar array on top. I don't know. It must have been close to 2000 Watts that we did. And they never ran their generator all summer. That's heaven. That's heaven. That is heaven. Honestly, to me, when they told me, thank you, I had goosebumps. You know, the client said to me, said, Jeff, when we started this project, I said, I want you to wow me. I, I don't care what it costs, but I want you to wow me. (laughs) <laughs> and, and those must be it, fun projects to work on it is but it, but but you know what that's what it is and that's that's beautiful like i get teary eyed because i'm like not running a generator on a 52 foot boat where you're literally off grid literally acting and being a king and a queen you have zero compromises this is like being tied to the city grid you got water maker you've got everything you're talking about you're running the whole boat at DC and then you're inverted all your loads all your loads are inverted 
and everything is stored in a battery bank, that's the dream. That's heaven right there. Solar. And that's why solar to me is it's it. Yeah, it's made a huge difference. Um, I, <laughs> I actually interviewed my dad for an episode of this podcast a while back because he had the very first solar panel ever on a um, private really? boat in the 60s. He was sailing a trimaran with batteries. And they, one of them was at Bell, was doing some work at Bell Laboratories. And um, the Telstar One satellite is what they were working on. And there were some extra solar panels that they had put in the dumpster. So they dumpster dived, grabbed one out. It was about, I think, about a foot square. And it powered their transistor radio. <laughs> By, by the way, that is one of the, that piece, somebody would pay a fortune for that piece. That, like, something like that that went in the 60s. Oh my God. I'd have that as art. I'll send, you the, I'll send you the little article he wrote about it. Please, that's badass. That's badass. <laughs> this was, a, I really enjoyed chatting, Jeff. Likewise, Ben. Thank, thank you, you for later. the opportunity. Thanks for uh, giving me a, a chance to speak about my experiences with voting. Okay? All righty. Take care. Ciao. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find Pacific Yacht Systems at pysystems.ca. pysystems.ca. Or you can search for Pacific Yacht Systems on YouTube to find a treasure trove of presentations on marine electrical systems. Thanks again for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.